That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. This is the Great America Show, beaming to you proudly from the United States of America. We're all about truth, justice, and the American way of life, and we're grateful and proud to have you with us today. There's always more than high odds that we'll be talking about national politics and national politicians on the Great America Show. Today, no exception, President Biden is a puppet, of course, and he has no clue how smart his constituents really are. For example, with prices rising quickly, he told us there's no inflation. Then that inflation is only transitory. And then finally, that inflation with gasoline prices at five bucks and diesel at six, that inflation is indeed a complex, tricky, and a very real problem. And he's trying to fix it, he says. Then he explained that inflation is really caused by Vladimir Putin and price-gouging businesses. Then he wandered off, aimlessly as usual, and the nation gave yet another sigh of relief when he did. But he's always there, somewhere, sometimes in the White House, just awaiting orders from his masters, because almost everything these days is a complex, tricky, and very real problem for this president. He's not exactly the guy we need right now in the White House, but he is who we got. To take up these perilous times and the battle for the soul of the nation, we have with us conservative social media warrior and star, former Navy intelligence officer and host of the podcast Human Events Daily, Jack Basobic. It's great to have you with us here on The Great America Show, Jack. And I notice, because I follow you on Twitter, that you got all involved in nationalism, a nationalism of an entirely different kind. And when you did, you went viral, meaning you almost broke the Internet with your new brand of nationalism. Tell us all about that, please, Jack. I did I a little bit. I did a little bit. It's true. I confess. And, I, you know, I didn't know that's where you were going, but nationalism, big and even bigger, Pizza Hut. Kind of bring that together for us. Absolutely correct. And so no one's heard of this phrase, Pizza Hut nationalism, before I've coined it this weekend. <laughs> um, but we've heard, you know, we've heard American nationalism. We've heard American exceptionalism. I'm going a step further. I'm talking about Pizza Hut nationalism, Lou. And <laughs> what's interesting <laughs> is, you know, and a lot of people, it's kind of a kind of a funny way to talk about it. But, you know, what we're doing with labeling it Pizza Hut National. It's actually a story that this last weekend, so I took my little kids and we went out to see this this kids movie that came out. And uh, afterwards, you know, we hadn't had dinner yet. And I said, let's let's stop by the Pizza Hut on the way home. And I remember thinking that, you know, all those great memories I had as a kid of going there with my mom and dad, you know, usually you'd go after after you beat the Tigers in the local Little League, you know, baseball game, you'd go in and you'd you know, you maybe play an arcade game, you'd sit down, you go to the pizza buffet right. um, and you just you know, the pictures of Soto would come out. And, you know, even if the taste wasn't that great, um, it was just this wonderful family experience. 
that everyone could have. And it was a set, stable and really enjoyable experience for everybody. Lou, we went into this Pizza Hut just in it. We live outside of D.C. This place was like a wasteland. Um, and I brought my children there and I've got it. Um, he's a three year old. He'll be four on Saturday and then a one year old. And there oh, were I, I guess what happened is that during the covid pandemic, a lot of Pizza Hut's uh, 500 locations in the throughout the U.S. have shifted now from dine in to take out or pick up only. Right. And so we go in there and there's uh, it's it's delivery guys. There's pizza boxes unmade everywhere. It's messy. There's packaging and, you know, sauce containers over all the tables, chairs turned over and everything. And when I said I wanted to just get some personal pan pizzas for my kids, I mean, this guy looked at me like I, my hair was on fire. You know, <laughs> that this is not a thing that you do anymore at a pizza hut. And I'm sitting there thinking, isn't this a great microcosm, a great example of how a once flourishing American institution that throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, really tapped into that that Americana, which already existed, you know, really from the 1950s onward of having that great community restaurant has now turned into something that doesn't exist anymore for my own children. And, And that's a new that's really a new dynamic for America to be part of a generation where I'm realizing that the country that my children will one day inherit doesn't seem to be as good as the country that I grew up in. And I said, this is a perfect example of what that is. Now, it's funny enough, my wife is actually an immigrant, so she didn't know what I was talking about. So we went home and I had to pull up some of the old, you know, videos and the ads. And of course, there's a great um, iconic, you know, really uh, stuffed crust pizza ad where, of course, it's it's Donald Trump and Ivana Trump. And uh, at the the end, uh, she says, she says, Donald, may I have the last piece? And he looks at her and goes, darling, you're only entitled to 50 (laughs) percent. This, of course, was coming out in the 90s. So in the midst of the divorce, just just amazing, just a perfect you know, that was, you know, really just just such a peak moment. There's Donald Trump making jokes, Ivana Trump, there's Pizza Hut. It's, you know, you play baseball, you go to the, th- to the thing afterwards. And somewhere along the line, it seems like we lost that. Yeah. It really seems to have lost that with this globalized, digitized economy where we're all sort of separated. We're all everything's political, everything, you know, every movie you go see has got some agenda behind it. You, you know, you take your you can't take your kids to Disney World anymore, you know. And all the rest of it said, so what happened? What happened to those shared cultural spaces that were just innocent and fun? It's it, it, it's a it's a great uh, it, it was a funny bit, I have to tell you, Jack, and I and, and everybody obviously enjoyed it. Uh, but as you say, it it, uh, it its base, uh, it's uh, profound because Pizza Hut, uh, we have a Pizza Hut on the, on the way uh, anyway, on the road that we drive on. And my wife and I go by it every once in a while, and it's in a shopping mall, and we never stopped. We finally stopped because uh, I wanted to have Pizza Hut and uh, reminiscing. And the fact of the matter is we pull up to it, and the first thing we noticed was uh, just as in the picture that you had used on Twitter, uh, which is where I saw it, uh, we had a chain link fence around that thing. That was our greeting to Pizza Hut. Wow. And the next thing we we're walking in and we're sort of, you know, and this is in the midst, of course, of COVID. 
and we're walking in. It's dark and it's dank. I mean, right. you know, it, it was perfect for doing a drug deal. I'm not just <laughs> sure it was so great for a pizza business. But they right, so you, that's that's the same exact experience we had. You no, know, sans the 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 chain link fence, but it 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 was this idea of you know something that it, I had always had fond memories of, yep. and then it somehow had been twisted as if through some sort of funhouse mirror into a a distorted version of what it what it used to be. And and the picture of the Pizza Hut in China, my gosh, who's winning that war? No well, doubt so, about it. Well, so what's so interesting about that photo that I chose was, so I lived in Shanghai for about two years and I remember going down to uh, Nanjing road is, is sort of this main pedestrian thoroughfare. It's almost the main street of Shanghai, if you will. And that they had this pizza hut there. And I remember looking at it saying, this is like an upscale joint. You know, this is a place that you might, it wasn't, it wasn't the family fair that I was used to from the nineties and eighties, but it was almost an upscale, um, you know, maybe, you know, closer to like an Applebee's tier or, or even a little bit higher. So the idea was that if you were some white collar worker who was going on your lunch, or if you wanted to get drinks with friends after work, that's what you went to the pizza hut for. And they're, so they're run by a separate company that was spun off from uh, yum brands, this giant, you know, multinational global that, you know, came in just like everything else and purchased up all of our favorite uh, institutions and turned them into these, you know, soulless creations. Um, but in in China, they kind of took a totally different spin on it. And then through serving in the Navy, I actually had the opportunity to spend time in uh, in different parts of Asia. So I've been to um, uh, Korea and Busan. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to Vietnam. And it's, it's the same idea that, that Pizza Hut there is this more upscale, you know, really kind of upward mobility place that you would want to go and a totally different uh, aesthetic really than the family friendly uh, fun place to go eat that I remembered. But at the same time, if you look at, at it from the juxtaposition of the trajectory of the two countries, right? So we each have pizza huts, right? So right. the West has pizza huts and, um, and the East, right? Asia has pizza huts. One of them is extolling and expanding at an exponential rate and the other one is in complete decline and there are other issues now but certainly the franchise business because of covid has taken a beating and right. it's also because they're just out of energy they're out of ideas in too many cases and certainly all these chains are not equal or mcdonald's manages to, I think, maintain, my wife and I are experts, uh, as our producer will tell you, <laughs> on, uh, on fast food. And, and we love it. Uh, we got grandkids, we got, you know, but it doesn't take grandkids for us to go to the fast food joint because we love it. Uh, I want to, I want to turn, if I may, to another uh, enterprise, by the way, I love your sign, Poso Hut. Uh, that was a, <laughs> yes. that's, a, that's a nice touch. We had a, a fan actually sent that in because this thing, like I said, it was started trending on Twitter, and then yep. uh, people were chiming in. Even people that you know from the other side of the aisle, for me, you know, I'm, you know, people, you know, I'm more conservative, but people would say from the left, from the center, they were saying, "Hey, this this is something that was very nice that we lost, and it doesn't actually seem to be political." And you know, people saying, "I can't stand that Jack Posobiec guy," but you know what? He's right about this. <laughs> you absolutely are. And you know what else you're right uh, about? You're right about my pillow. 
uh, I, I mean, I'm. Uh, well, there's nothing know, political about getting the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, Lou. And well said. And and what is that? Uh, what is that code for that? Uh, well, that's the powerful promo code POSO that uh, gets you up to 65% off on an upgrade to your sleep system. You know, nobody believes me when I say this, but when we first got the promo code in, um, my wife went and she said, so we get this deal now if we use your promo code. I said, yes, sweetheart, we get the deal. She went in, Lou, she threw out all of our bedding. She threw out all of our pillows. She said, I want brand new pillows. I want my pillows for everyone in the house. And so we've got pillows for the kids. We've got pillows for us. We've got pillows for my parents. We've got pillows for the in-laws. It's the only thing we sleep on every night. And so when I tell people, so we do the pillows, we do the sheets, we do the topper, and we have the towels now too. So when I tell people, they say, well, Jack, are they good? I said, don't take my advice for it. Listen to my wife because that's the review that really matters. There you go. And, uh, and I'm just curious, what was that promo code again? <laughs> well, that was promo code POSO. That's P-O-S-O. <laughs> just making sure that everyone knows that it's promo code POSO that saves you up to 65% on upgrading your sleep system to get you the best night's sleep in the whole wide world. It seems like I've, I've heard that somewhere before. Oh, yes. It was our friend, Mike Lindell. He. <laughs> yeah, say hello, great, and, great and Mr. Lindell. Uh, he's he's an amazing, amazing guy. And every well, you respect. know, it's funny enough is, um, in in through doing this, we've been doing the promo code for about a, a year now. And I don't usually get to see Mike because he's always running around. I'm always sure. running around. But we were down at this this last CPAC here in Orlando. I guess it was February, and we had brought the kids with us, um, because you know it's Orlando. Of course, I'm going to bring the kids. But we didn't want to bring the kids into the um, I was hosting one of the tables. So, you know, they have you go and host and they sit you down and, right. you know, you kind of want to, you know, greet people, say thanks for coming out. It's, it's one of these ones where, you, you know, you pay a little extra so you can go to the dinner. And um, but we had the kids basically sitting out just outside that area with a, and we had a friend who was babysitting. So I go out to check on the kids at one point just to make sure everything's fine. And they're sitting they're playing. They have some toys. And who should walk up? But Mike Lindell walks up while I'm sitting there. It's just me. It's the kids and Mike. We have this great conversation. They get to meet him. He's so sweet. He's such a nice guy. He's amazing with children, the way he just lights up. And I mean, he's like everybody's favorite grandfather and just just what an incredible guy who just has a great exuberance for life and uh, a joie de vie, you know, just an absolute love for life itself. And the fact that he wears his his belief on his sleeve as being a believer in the risen uh, Lord Jesus Christ uh, and is able to share that freely. Right. You know, so for people to understand that, you know, he, yeah, he's like that in the commercials. But when you turn the microphones off, when you turn the cameras off, he's exactly the same man. That's right. Except he talks more in person. <laughs> That's true. Yes. <laughs> He's he's a great guy, a great American, and he's doing just a lot for this country. So, uh, and I I had to kid you about my pillow because I'm kidding, uh, Mike. Because uh, we don't even get you know you you got pillows and everything. We we don't even have you know pillowcases. Uh, I'm kidding. Lou, I we, can hook you up. I can get you a good deal. <laughs> what's what's the discount? Up to sixty five percent. Now it it changes, but just so you know. This past week, there is a BOGO extravaganza going on right now. That's buy one, get one. Uh, and we could go through it, uh, you know, uh, see which uh, see which items there are for buy one, get one. 
right now my producer is wondering what did Dobbs do? We've talked Pizza Hut and my pillow. It's got <laughs> it's 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 going to be a, a a long commercial here. You're saying this but is a political really podcast, is. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know the uh, it's also based on economics, so that's all good. But uh, the my pillow products, uh, we uh, I guess Mike sent them to us uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and these uh, Giza sheets, just to, just to be participating. My, the, the the reality is, we love our Giza sheets, and that's the truth. Uh, so, uh, but we, we didn't just pay switched for them. over. So we've got um we've got one of the lighter sheets. So we just switched them over. We took off our winter sheets, and then we've got a new rotation that we use for the warmer months because as it's getting warmer here, we're like I said, we're right off the Chesapeake in the D, in the uh, right. DC area. And so we just switched out to our lighter. It's more of a more of a white linen uh, of the Giza Dream Sheets. And I'm telling you, these things, it's like sleeping on butter. Well, my wife is also a, a, a managing director as we are doing the show. And I looked over at her and she's got her hands in the air going, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I want to turn to a couple of uh, serious issues. Uh, and and I want to start out at least light, if you if you consider this light, the BLM, uh, the co-founder Patrice Cullors, admitting she lied, Jack, she lied. That six million dollar L.A. mansion, she has not always used it for official business. Um, I'm shocked. I'm yeah. shocked to hear that the founder of BLM would lie about using her mansion for official business. It is it is a stunning development, uh, but. Uh, and by the way, we had to learn about it first from Daily Mail again, the uh, the UK news outlet beating again corporate media uh, by at least twenty four hours. But it's uh, it, isn't it really the BLM mansion anyway? What they can do what they want with it. Uh, you know, I just don't want to get her in any trouble because you know how you know how they treated all of those blm activists who were violent and set fire to things i mean those people are going to be in jail for years and years and years no no lou I, i'm I actually believe it or not um hardly any of them were, were arrested in fact most of them are have been reactivated and they're uh they're in in the wake of this roe v wade leak and they're attacking uh, police officers again some of them are showing up to the homes of supreme court justices these same these very same networks and i talk about this a lot Right. That because there was no, and we wrote a whole book about it, um, uh, focused on Antifa, but really got into uh, the entire, what I call the summer of rage of 2020. The fact that these networks, the organizers, the funders, the central planners, no meaningful co uh, prosecution or investigation of them ever took place, whether at the federal level or the state level. And all of those political implements still exist in the world today. And I actually believe I said this a few weeks ago. It seems to me that they're being reactivated on the cusp of the midterm elections of 2022. Now we've seen them completely reactivated these Antifa cells. We're seeing it at, at the homes of Supreme Court justices. There's that uh, Breitbart had that report that uh, Sam Alito and his family may have been moved to a secure location. I mean, okay. this is a very dark time for our country when law and order, as we see it, is not operating properly because it doesn't matter what laws you pass if the laws are not enforced. Yeah, I, I should have made it clear that I was being facetious uh, when I was expressing my optimism that these people were emerging from jail now, after having served a sentence and gone through rehab, and were now productive citizens of the United States, so they are hardly that. 
uh, and there is very little chance that the, they will any of them will ever be prosecuted, no matter their crime of choice in the years ahead. It's really a blanket uh, well, left-wing the- Marxist uh, uh, amnesty, uh, a proactive amnesty, if you will. Well, so, Lou, the, the, the quintessential moment of this is a man by the name of Gage Grosenkrutz, who's originally from the Wisconsin area. He's infamous for being that individual who, during the events of the Kenosha riots, uh, chased down Kyle Rittenhouse, who at the time was a minor, through the streets of Kenosha. And we see him on video. This all came out at the trial, drawing a nine millimeter Glock handgun from his waistband, pulling it around and pointing it at Kyle Rittenhouse's head. Kyle Rittenhouse was able to defend himself. Gage lived, was never charged for drawing his gun and pointing it at a minor. And just a few weeks ago, he was out in Seattle. I guess he's gone to be with his Antifa brethren of Seattle. He was at a meeting with none other than President Joe Biden shaking hands with him. Right. right. Now, he's the one that got shot, right? He's the one who was shot in the arm. And his arm was, as they said in the trial, vaporized, I believe, is the way he expressed it. It, And you can see, and it's it's very graphic video, but it's essentially that that fleshy part of the bicep is, is just, um, pretty much took a direct hit. Right. All right. And, uh, and I, I, I'm sorry, that occurred to me when you asked, he said he was shaking hands. I'm glad to hear that he's right. Precisely. You know, has function, you know, function of that arm. Uh, the, the reality here is that the BLM is still, it's got $60 million in the bank. Uh, none of their executives who have said that they were just really kind of tired of the whole thing. I have really retired. Uh, and they are gearing up you know, the the summer of uh, of rage uh, from May of 2020 to uh, December, really, of uh, 2020 uh, was something. And it does look like we're starting to see the the onset of that same level of violence. They're picking their places and they're picking their, their Republican justice uh, of their choice uh, to demonstrate against and to try to intimidate Justice Clarence Thomas, bless his heart, says the Supreme Court will not be uh, swayed by street violence or demonstrations or any any form of attempted intimidation on the part of the left. That's good to hear. And it's good to hear a justice say it out loud. Lou, these types of uh, these types of activities, you know, political factions using street violence to intimidate courts. I mean, obviously, it's against the law here in the United States in all 50 states. But if you go to other parts of the world, this is just a normal part of the political discourse. You see this in the third world. You see this in South America. You see this in the Middle East. You, you've even seen this in Eastern Europe, where they've had these events called color revolutions, where political actors gin up these types of violent forces and then use them to achieve their own ends, whether politically or judicially, to be able to either force um, the outcome of elections, to force uh, judicial decisions, sometimes even topple governments, as we saw across the Arab Spring, as we saw across the Euromaidan, uh, and many other places across Eastern Europe, Eurasia, and, and the Middle East. And in this country, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas is I think right now the voice of the court. Uh, he talked about the the need in this country uh, by Americans for one outcome for all, and only the outcome that all wants will be uh, be honored and respected 
by the American people because we've become a nation of buttercups and daffodils uh, who have little meltdowns when we don't get our way. Uh, he, he really, uh, those were my words, not his. He put it far more eloquently. But the fact is we have a society that is demanding of exactly what they want their way and no compromise, God forbid. Well, Lou, that's that's it's it's interesting you mention it because there is a point though where they those elements of society stop becoming buttercups and daffodils, and that's when someone is standing in their way. That's when there's a police force in their way, whether it be Seattle in the summer of 2020, where they battled the police force and the former mayor Jenny Durkin uh, demanded that the police force themselves step back, and they instituted this thing called the Chaz, which I was able to infiltrate. Um, they right. will become the most violent group in America when they see someone in their way and they are willing to use that violence, whether it be on a minor like Kyle Rittenhouse, whether it be a police force, whether it be the federal courthouse like Portland, or whether it be just as we saw this past weekend, a pro-life center in Madison, Wisconsin, that was put on a list. They were willing to firebomb that place with Molotov cocktails because their violence is sees no bounds. They view someone who is their political opponent not as someone that they should debate against, that they should um, argue against, that they should you know take to court and take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. That's what we used to say in this country. You know, I'll, I'll take you to the Supreme Court. Um, no, they see you as an enemy on a field of battle that should be destroyed. That is the political violence of the left. And that is a huge problem that I have not seen Republicans at a national level and certainly not at a state level to combat. And I really think at this point that it, there needs to be a focus at the state level for the state and local sheriffs, governors. Uh, you need to be putting together really um, riot forces at the state level of police, whether it be a police reserve or um, some type of hired uh, group that's able to come in when these things happen, that they can be rapidly deployed. Because we saw this in 2020, that we were not able to get the National Guard there in some of these areas like we were able to. And so I, I just spoke in Kenosha a couple of weeks ago, and so that's why it's very fresh on my mind. But had the National Guard been out there in Kenosha on night one, that none of those events would have happened. And my guess is, and I don't know the the sheriff there, but the sheriff's offices, in my opinion, are the great hope for America in law and order uh, because they are elected. They are not uh, political pawns as too many police chiefs That's right. and police departments have become or are. Uh, you know, one thinks of Sheriff uh, Villanueva in Los Angeles, for example, a Democrat, yes. but who is persistently patriotic and a man of law and order and reason. And he is the only countervailing influence that I can detect in all of Los Angeles County against the exorbitant and uh, uh, inexorable uh, uh, move toward uh, outright authoritarianism in California uh, on the part of the Democratic Party. One of the things that we've seen is that it is sheriffs and it's local police and even police unions that are one of the last real bastions in government of law and order. Right. And I'm and sure, you know, they have their issues and I'm not saying they're perfect institutions, but what I'm saying is they do exist to uphold these laws. And so they they will be willing to go and pull somebody over for having a you know, problem with their uh, their license plate. They uphold the very basic level of laws in this country. 
And if you've been at places like I have, like Chaz or the Freddie Gray riots of 2015, or some of these other BLM uh, attacks and Antifa attacks that I've been in, in in Washington, D.C. and other cities, that you realize how very quickly, how very quickly our society can boil over when that facet, that symbol of law and order is pulled back. And I'll never forget that night of the Freddie Gray riots in 2015 when the mayor of Baltimore said we need to give them space. You remember that, Lou? They said Mm -hmm. she said we need to give them space. And the police force guarded some of the tourist areas of the of inner Baltimore and others. But for the vast majority of that city, if you were a small business owner, if you were a restaurateur, or if you were someone who just owned property, right, you became a target. Yeah. And much the same thing that happened in Kenosha. It was fast. And Kenosha was exactly the same. And uh, it's it's dispiriting to uh, to all law law abiding citizens, uh, irrespective of political preference or partisanship. Uh, and we've really got to come to terms with it. One of the things that I worry most about is that we have a body politic of, uh, of Republicans, conservatives, patriots, all who really have a very high boiling point. And I worry that they're going to wait too long. They're going to be passive far too long to be responsive and reactive to the threats that the left poses. Uh, We've watched an election stolen, a rigged election uh, stolen in 2020. In my mind, there is absolutely no doubt. Uh, And we have a election coming up in six months that there's there's been so little reform that it's almost it's negligible uh, and hardly near enough to prevent a repeat of 2020. What what you're talking about, though, are not two things that are separate or compartmented, right? They're actually two halves of the same whole because uh, the use of political violence or the willingness to use political violence then creates a chilling effect for the other side. So when the other side says, hey, we want to enforce these laws and, um, you know, just to take uh, uh, the great Dinesh D'Souza's contention that there are some issues with these drop boxes that were completely unmonitored or um, they were filmed, but nobody was actually paying attention to what was going on. And, you know, I'm from the Philadelphia area myself, and I could tell you that, uh, you know, rigging elections in Philadelphia is a, is a tradition for <laughs> for the Democrat Party. Without um, question. That, uh, you know, they learned it from uh, New Jersey and Tammany Hall, et cetera, et cetera, that um, when uh, when we've got an election coming up in just a few weeks, here, actually two weeks in the city of Philadelphia, which, of course, it is um, tied to the statewide elections throughout Pennsylvania, where we've got a Senate race and a governor's race, that, uh, again, if you've watched this film. 2000 mules by Dinesh D'Souza and you turn back and say, well, wait a minute, is anyone doing anything about this? No, they're not. And those very same drop boxes will be out across those streets in Philadelphia and the surrounding areas uh, on May 17th for the primary date in Pennsylvania. And Lou, it's my contention that is the threat of political violence that has chilled Republicans up and down. So not only to think of it, right? When they see those hordes of marauders marching up and down in front of Supreme Court justices' homes. It's an intimidation not only to those justices, but to any political official who thinks, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be my family. I don't want that to be my children. So I'm not going to stand up and do what needs to be done to enforce the law. And if if we are intimidating or if we have officials so easily intimidated as that, 
we're in really big trouble because it's almost irretrievable, uh, the, the ability to counteract, to create countervailing influences to street violence in the name of the uh, exalted on high left-wing philosophy and ideology. Uh, this is, and this is precisely what I'm talking about, Jack. We have to, in some way, uh, understand that the rhinos and the Republican Party are the are, are the stuff of doom. Uh, I, I've always pointed out that rat poison is 98% oatmeal. Only poison, the only part of it that's poison is 2%. But in the Republican Party, the rhinos are in, I think, a, a functional majority in both the House and the Senate, and certainly in the NRC. And if people do not understand the threat that's posed by the Mitt Rom Romneys, the Lindsey Grahams, uh, and the list goes on, unfortunately, the 40 senators who signed a no-fly zone demand to President Biden, 40 Republican senators were willing to call for the implementation of an act that Vladimir Putin said would be his red line and result in uh, an act of war. Right, and, right. and still, and, and they so signed a, it. Right. So as a former uh, uh, Navy intelligence officer, um, the the way a no-fly zone works, and I don't think a lot of people, you know, it sounds very nice, right? It sounds like a high ideal with no-fly. That means nobody's going to be in the air. That means everyone's going to be safe. Actually, I think the, the phrase no-fly zone, that's, that's kind of like when they call it a mostly peaceful protest, right? There'd be a lot of flying in a no-fly zone. Right. I think that... Uh, we should actually refer to them as shoot down zones because that's essentially what it would yeah. be declaring this idea that the United States Air Force and Nate, you know, other NATO allied air forces, possibly even the U.S. Navy. Of course, the U.S. Navy is um, one of the second largest air forces in the world right. um, would be. And right now responsible this. for most of the, uh, the the I will call it the surveillance sorties that are being run that's uh, right. in Eastern Europe. All right. In the Eastern Europe and the Black Sea region. And so. What you would what you would what it would require then is that our planes, our men, um, our fighters would be up there essentially enforcing this no fly zone. And of course, Putin, who has said he's going to go in and he's not going to be stopped, is not going to respect our no fly zone. So what does that lead to? Right. Well, if you've seen Top Gun, right, that's going to lead to direct air to air combat between the United States, NATO allies and the state of Russia, the Russian military, which, as we knew all through the Cold War, was something that we always wanted to refer to avoid. Lou, that's why we call it a Cold War, because we didn't want to go to direct combat with Russia, because, of course, both sides in this conflict have nuclear arsenals. Right. Can you believe the Republicans are so uh, frivolous uh, and reckless with the prospect of a, a war with a nuclear power? As they it's are. incredibly irresponsible. It's it's one of the most irresponsible things I've ever seen. Um, the idea that and and you know they they'll play these mind games of saying word games of saying well if we if our nukes can get there first then maybe we can take out Moscow and you know Adam Kinzinger will say these things and before they can take out Washington yes that's great but uh, it's have they actually attended briefings on how the nuclear triad works it's called. Uh, you have you have three stools of this. So you have your you have your long range ballistic missiles. You have your stealth bombers, your long range bombers. They have those as well. They have blackjacks. And then we have and then you have your nuclear launched submarines, your submarine launched ballistic missiles. Our subs cannot be found, whether they're coming out of Kings Bay, Georgia, or whether they're coming out of Bremerton, Washington. Their subs that have nuclear tip missiles 
as well cannot be found. So if Moscow is taken out or DC is taken out, you have the ability, the ability for what's called second launch or second uh, strike launch capability, which means if you stop receiving your commands from Washington, that's that's go, go, go. Right. And it's the same way for Russian submarines. That's the basis of mutually assured destruction. You're not going to be able to get all of them. And so it opens you up to a situation that essentially could lead to nuclear annihilation. The the strategy, the strategic determinants haven't changed in 50 years. Herman Kahn wrote a book called The Unthinkable. Henry Kissinger wrote a book, Nuclear Weapons and Foreign Policy, uh, in 1957. In either case, the result is mutually assured destruction. And that doesn't change. And for these so-called uh, geopolitical experts who make up our, uh, our armed services committees, our foreign affairs, foreign relations committees, uh, these are dilettantes uh, who really shouldn't be playing uh, in the front yard. Uh, it, is, it is madness to think what these people are doing and to think that we have Joe Biden mentally impaired, a puppet president, in a time in which we are facing that possibility if not prospect, is truly, truly chilling and sobering. Jack Pasovic, thanks for being with us here. We appreciate it. Great talking with you. We've got much more to cover, so let's talk some more soon. And we always, uh, on this show, uh, we always give our guests the last word. As you wish, your concluding thoughts. Well, Luke, God bless you and uh, to you and the family. Thanks so much for having me on. And let me speak my mind, even if even if we're talking about pillows and pizza and just some of that <laughs> American. But, you know, it, it really is. It's not about pillows and pizza. It's about our country and it's about American exceptionalism. And it's about the things that we used to have, the shared experiences before this sort of globalized multinational corporate structure sort of took our country away from us. And I think it's important for us to remember the things that we're fighting for, not just the things that we're fighting against. Amen, brother. God bless you. And thanks for being here. Look forward to our next talk. Thanks, Luke. Jack Posobiec, thanks for being with us, everybody. And please be with us tomorrow for Gordon Chang, who has a fascinating view on what President Biden is contending with, dealing with both China and Russia now, and the consequences of their strategic partnership. Please join us here tomorrow. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America.